And welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 335. I'm Benjamin Yoder here today, talking to you about video games. We're going to talk about some niche news story, um, do some personal update stuff. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to try to make it brief. I know I've said I want to try to get away from the NFT stuff a little bit. I think they're interesting news stories as much as I think they're kind of dead in the water in terms of news, uh, personally. But Square Enix did some stuff recently that I think is worth talking about a little bit. Um, if only to highlight, you know, <laughs> how slowly they are moving with their own initiatives in that part. And then uh, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2. I know I said last week I probably wouldn't try to talk about that on the show. But after really racking my brain about what to say about Boku no Natsu, Natsu Yasumi 2, um, I had a really hard time figuring out what I want, want to say about that game, if anything. So I will do... The thing this podcast is for, which is rambling my thoughts and hoping it turns into something. So so we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. Uh, I want to put it at the end because I think it's a game that if you are a particular type of person who would enjoy that video game, my personal opinion, probably just play it. My opinion, just play it. Um, Don't get all caught up in the weirdness of how I feel about that game because how I feel about that game is going to require a lot of explanation. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, a uh, couple of small personal updates here, real quick. Uh, I finished Arkwright's Fantasia. I was not really planning on doing that. Um, as soon as I did, after I wrapped up Tokyo, and I was like, I do want to get back to Arkwright's Fantasia. Um, but I was looking at the, the number of hours it would take, and it just so happened to be that Saturday it worked out where I could spend a lot of time playing it early on. Um, we did our Discord movie night, and it, like when we were when I was getting to needing to sit down for discord movie night um it was like oh actually i really need to grind right now so i just grinded through that and then i basically just powered through the rest of that game after our movie night and uh, and wrapped it up i wasn't really expecting that to happen so i'm very pleased to say our christ fantasia wrapped up and done i'll talk about it on the podcast next week that's gonna require a pretty pretty big chunk of a segment on its own um so i think it'd be better to not next week two weeks from now sorry <laughs> um um that's gonna require a pretty big chunk of a segment on its own so i want to give it the time to breathe right um it just as a heads up by the way i do still want to post up the podcast highlight review stuff or whatever i call it um on the ocp plus channel it's just i haven't had the time to sit down and edit those they just take longer than you'd expect to do but they are shorter than other videos usually and uh, this year, I've been mostly, when I do sit down to work on stuff, I've been focusing on things that I find more important. And usually, like, working on, like, an actual scripted video is what I find more important. But I think there is value in me getting those out there at some point. And since I've built up a backlog, I don't know if I should, like, bundle them together or, you know, I don't know, release them in certain categories all at once. Like, oh, here's, like, five Wii game reviews over the course of however many weeks, right? Something like that. So... I don't know. I'm still on the fence about what I will do with those, but you know, assuming I get my way in in terms of my time and where I spend it, uh, I would like to eventually put stuff together for a bunch of games, not just Arkwright's Fantasia, but eventually I think that will will show up in its own little Arkwright's Fantasia review on 
the YouTube channel. So all done with that, and uh, it's a good game. I, I I really recommend it. I think it is it is uh, is worthy of a video game alongside Xenoblade Chronicles and Last Story on the system. Maybe not as ambitious when it comes to the technical prowess of the game. It's like a misplaced PSP game is what it feels like. Um, but there's a, a really awesome battle system in that game. And uh, there's some really, really distinct and unique kind of character dynamics that I really do not expect to see in a Japanese RPG. Um, I think the, the, it's a little hard to see that, though, up front because a lot of that game looks like a very traditional JRPG um, on its surface level. So, so yeah, but, um, yeah, so I was happy to get that done. And then the big project this week was cleaning my house and I won't bore you with the details of all the different things I did. It was more than just video game cleaning. It's just, I I do this thing where I kind of scrape off a layer of cruft every year where it's like, I just built a bunch of stuff. Let's just get some of the stuff out the door. And most of the time, Video game stuff is exempt from that, and I think the only thing I have uh, really set aside to be tossed is uh, my old Dazzle Capture card from a long time ago, so I don't think I'll be needing that. It was tempting to keep holding on to it because it's like, oh, what if I want to... It's like, don't, don't, just leave, just let it go. Let it go, Ben, so that is going. But uh, the bigger thing is, is that I, um, if you don't know... When I finish games right now, I store my games under my bed. Um, there are, it's like an Ikea bed. It has like four dresser drawers down there. And uh, when I beat a game, I'll go put it down there. The exception was was Xbox stuff, PlayStation 4, Switch, and a few other like more, uh, I guess, on the sideline platforms. And it was mostly because I just didn't have enough space in the two drawers I dedicated to be for video games. But those drawers were starting to fill up and my shelves out here were also starting to fill up quite a bit. So I uh, was able to free up one of the other uh, drawers under my Ikea bed. And uh, and it gave me a, a whole other drawer to work with, which is, is is which was able to solve my problem significantly. So and like initially the the putting games under my bed was like and like, you know, when I say under my bed, you know, again, in drawers and stuff. So it's not just like, you know, a bunch of games stacked up below the bed. But when I, when I, when I initially did that, it was kind of like a weird compromise, but I really like it because it gets games out of sight, like the games that I've already beaten out of sight, but it makes, it it leaves them accessible, right? They're not in a storage locker. They're not in a plastic case somewhere at the dig through like five layers of games. It's, it is there for me to grab, but it's also, you know, away, so I don't have to, like, look at it all the time. And the games that I do have out on the shelves are the games I want in my face all the time because those are the games I want to, you know, continue to look at and explore. And, you know, I don't necessarily need to stare at my copy of Botan Kaitos, um, you know, every day of the week either. So uh, I'm not going to talk about this, but, like, I my copy of Botan Kaitos Origins finally got in as well as my copy of Edo um, Zombie Uprising. And I also got a 3DS train driving game that uses FMV. Um, but it's also like a 3D FMV as well. So it's it's kind of neat. Um, but anyways, those finally came in after a, a long, long delay. But I finally got those. And I put that Botan Kaitos game uh, under the bed immediately because I already beat the GameCube ones. And I was like, I'm not going to play these remakes. I just wanted to buy them to show that I like Botan Kaitos to the people who hopefully matter. I'm going to guess it does not matter that I spent money on that thing. But hey, I feel good about it because I got my copies of Botan Kaitos for like 10 or Fifteen dollars, something like that. So, um, yeah, I was really excited about that. And uh, and while I have another uh, shelf or drawer underneath my bed right now that I would like to uh, clear out, it's currently full of game controllers, like backup game controllers. 
And I would need to find a good solution for that otherwise. And I don't like how that drawer is at the moment anyway. So it would be good to find a solution for that. And then that would open up the the, the fourth and final uh, drawer under my bed. But, um, you know, the reality is, is that the rate of beat which I beat games, you know, it will be years until I fill up under that entire bed. So this this solves my problem that I've been having for so long of just like I'm running out of space in my bed. I'm running out of space on my, my shelves. And uh, hey, guess what? There are more places you can store your clothes than under the drawer in a, in a bed. I don't know why my brain never thought. I was like, why don't I just buy a dresser? <laughs> so, so guess what I did? I bought a dresser. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and then before we get into the news, I just wanted to mention one other thing. I had a conversation with... Uh, uh, it was in my gaming group again, and I, I, I recently posted about this on... Well, maybe not recently. Sometime this year, I posted on Kofi about this a little bit, but... I have this problem with, I don't know, maybe it's not a problem per se, but like I keep finding when I talk to people, they often get like immensely confused about me playing the games I play, right? And I'm sure I've probably talked about this on the podcast before in some extent, but like uh, in that Babylon's Fall video I did, I think I kind of talked about the fact that like it, it's, it was very hard for me for a very long time to convey to people what I like about games, right? And I finally feel like I'm at a point in my life where I can convey that well, right? Or I could say, these are the things I like about this game. I do typically need to script it. I think when I'm just like rambling on a podcast, I do not come off as convincing. And I think a lot of people question the things I say, which I think is reasonable, right? Um, I think it depends on how you're questioning it. But like, I think generally, if you're just like, I didn't like offer you a completely sound, you know, understanding of a situation i totally understand like be, being skeptical right um but like when it comes to scripted content i think most of the time very few people really put up like fights against what i say they will at the very least acknowledge that like i don't agree with you but um i understand your point of view which is kind of all i'm looking for if anything that is my preferred thing i want somebody to show, show up and say hey i don't agree with you but i get it and that's really what I want. Like, I don't really want people join. Like, like, it's not that I don't want people watching my videos that uh, don't understand, like, like that I don't appreciate stuff already. But my goal, I think, is to talk to people who don't understand a lot of things, right? And uh, those things, and and reach them, and and at least you know give them some understanding of stuff. Sometimes, so that's uh, that's always a challenge. But anyway, to get back on topic, um, I, I had somebody again bring up the fact that we were talking about like mother or something like that. And I was like, yeah, eventually maybe I'll play Mother 2 specifically. So Earthbound 1. I've only ever played Mother 0 or Mother, the original Mother, which is Earthbound 0 in the US. Um, and and I was like, maybe eventually like I would like to. And like, like they're saying, well, you should just play games that you want to play. You know, you don't have to worry about like, you know, the video stuff. And I, I think there is some truth that like, yes, I think about like, you know, what what matters in terms of like what I play, like what I can do with it after I've done, I'm done playing it. Right. But I think a lot of times, like it, it's just a really complicated conversation about like why I play games. And, and I don't know why it seems like I, I can't explain to people, you know, the balance of basically what is, what is usually just like, Hey, the reason I play certain games is that it's some combination of enjoyment of the game. Right. Um, like learning something about a game, um, and then also um, uh, kind of exploring something new, right? That's that's kind of and to some extent that's connected to learning something, and um, and sometimes even sharing it, right? 
Uh, and and sometimes like the, those those things, you know, take different balances and priorities. And um, you know, at at no point do I think I would uh, play a game that I just straight up didn't want to play. I will say though, like if I were given infinite time, I would love to play every video game ever made. Like I would love to play Call of Duty every year. I have not played one since the original Modern Warfare Two, right? So like it's been something that I have not followed up on. But, um, you know, it is, it is something I would love to to play every year, but I just don't need to, right? Like, I have so little, like, l- little time to focus on games that I don't need to experience that that experience every year, right? And so, like, yeah, there's, there's the factor of I want to enjoy a game. I want to learn something about a game. And then I think there is also a factor of, like, what I want to do with the game afterwards as well. What do I want to communicate to people about it? And... There's no one right answer of like what combination of elements get me to look at a game, right? Um, but I, 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 I don't really understand this like idea that people seem to continue to present to me that like you should only play the things you want to enjoy or you enjoy and like every other element shouldn't matter. I don't know. It's really weird to me that I don't really understand that like line of thinking and and I try to explain that, like, well, it's like I enjoy learning about new things. Like, like it reminds me like a little bit like how people feel about Last of Us, where Last of Us is a incredibly depressing game in a lot of ways, right? Um, and how much fun do you have while playing Last of Us? I think is a mixture of things. But you know what fun is with Last of Us is is not the you know you're not having fun while watching that story per se, right? Um, you or the way you're interpreting fun is very different than if you're playing a Mario game, right? And, and so like, I guess to me, it's like, it just, to me, it seems like obvious that it's like a a different way of like enjoying something. Like I can enjoy things in different ways. Right. Um, and, and, and yeah, if it's just pure fun, you know, it depends on like what I'm looking for out of a game. There are games I like to play for pure fun. Like as much as I, you know, complain about Super Mario Brothers three, um, you know, there are things I like to play for pure fun. Like I like fancy star games. They're fun, um, and stuff. And I played a, a lot of fancy star universe and, and portable two and, and portable and stuff, um, because I just enjoyed them. And like, there wasn't anything new to really learn from it. I just like, like that. And, uh, um, I do th- like, I played like 300 hours of a lot of shooters and usually I'm not learning anything new when I'm playing a game for that long. Right. So, I don't know. It, it's 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 just a weird thing to like have to grapple with, and I feel like I have this question come up with people all the time, and I guess I just don't get it. Like I don't get why they ask me this, and why like I like the explanation I give to them doesn't seem. They seem to have problems with the explanation I give to them. I guess, and I don't know how to like communicate with that right like i don't know what to say back other than just well this is how i like games and they're just like well i just think you should play games you enjoy more (laughs) i'm like i'm like but i play games i enjoy right and like you know there's some special cases like sparkling feather on the pcfx where uh you know i i don't like um like i don't think that's a fun game to play per se but uh you know finding how the secret ending that game because there was just like no resources online of how to get the secret ending like putting that puzzle together as terrible as it was was like you know a big part of the fun i feel like of that game or the enjoyment i should say because it wasn't necessarily fun like i said earlier but anyways yeah it's just one of those things that like i i it just keeps coming up and it comes up all the time and i feel like the reaction of my explanations always the same so it's like, what is wrong with how I'm talking about this, right? And I don't know. 
Um, and I don't get comments on the podcast usually, so <laughs> I'm going to guess nobody's going to communicate with me if they uh, either way through here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just feel at a loss of what to do about that. And I think it's weird because, like, I feel like I can I can explain why I like games, but like explaining explaining what makes me play a game is like the weird thing that people don't get. It's it's strange to me. It's so strange to me. Anyways, just a little thing I was like thinking about because I, I had a conversation with somebody and just like I've had this conversation so many times and I just don't know how to like convey it differently. Like eventually, I guess I should say something different. I just don't know what to say different though. It's the thing. I feel like I'm being pretty straightforward. So anyways, Ben time over. News time started. Um, Got a few different like uh, more niche news stories here and one uh, probably more bigger news story but uh if you were if you know me you're like ben you should probably have no interest in this um but before we get into that neptunia the the hit franchise featuring a is she what is she is she like a sega dreamcast or something i forget what she is neptunia oh no the sega neptune that makes sense uh or i think i don't know don't ask me i haven't played a neptunia game <laughs> um uh that franchise is getting the sisters versus sisters uh entry in that franchise uh coming to xbox it's also coming to switch i will say so they announced the switch version but they're also bringing it to xbox and it's the first time neptunia is coming to the xbox um you know, we always talk about like how Japan is with the Xbox and like you have a lot of smaller developers who are putting stuff on Xbox, but it's very inconsistent. And, you know, big companies like Square Enix are also very inconsistent as well with that stuff. Um, but the uh, thing that kind of just like jumped out at me specifically is, I guess, you know, I, the, the, the narrative around Neptunia seems to be this is a franchise just slowly bleeding out. Um, I don't know if that's actually true. That is just, I feel like the narrative that A, I have come to the conclusion to, and B, other people seem to come to the conclusion to. But they still continue to seem to make those video games. And I, I imagine they are de- de- developing them on a budget to hit a very specific audience, right? And as long as that specific audience buys it, they are they are in the good. But um, yeah, it's just, I, I'd be curious to see if they're going to really push multi-platform. Um, Xbox, I don't think really matters in the Neptunia factor. Uh, but the Nintendo Switch specifically, I think, is something that I mean. I've, there's been Neptunia games on the Switch before as well, so it's not that's not new. But I'm wondering if if we're finally gonna potentially move away from Neptunia being a PS exclusive initially. But I don't know. We'll see. This is a this is a port of a PlayStation game that is already out, so this isn't bucking that trend. But it's slowly extended its uh reach out just a little bit further. So. The more popular news story I was talking about earlier, Pokemon Concierge. This is a Netflix uh, little series where it's a a girl who is uh, working, a, a, you know, to be honest with you, like off the top of my head, I don't know if I could give you the definition of concierge, but she's working on like a little vacation island or something or vacation boat. I don't know what's going on, uh, but she's got a little Psyduck, and the whole thing is uh, very, uh, it's like, you know, stop motion animated with dolls and felted uh, Pokemon and stuff. It's very cute. I think it's a Netflix series, not like a Netflix movie, um, and uh, and I love the look and feel of it, and uh, I, I am not a big Pokemon guy. Pokemon Channel is my favorite Pokemon video game, so, you know, we're, we're, that's already, if you don't know, that is already the starting point of where I'm at with Pokemon. <laughs> so Pokemon concierge a little bit closer to like what I want out of Pokemon, honestly, in a lot of ways, which is uh, interesting relationships with your Pokemon, I think, to some extent. Um, 
but uh, and, and exploring that in a more casual, laid back way, I think. Uh, and I would, I would really like to see this like concept be a video game. I just don't necessarily think that's ever going to happen. But, uh, the only problem is that like, I don't use any kind of streaming services or anything like that. And I do not like subscribing specifically to watch one thing. So there's a good chance I will not see this, uh, initially at least, but I think it's really cute and cool. And if you don't know, I really like little dolls and stuff. So seeing the characters in, in doll form, move around and stuff is is, is kind of neat and fun so i'm curious if the, they'll sell any kind of like blu-ray for this in japan at the very least i don't know what the netflix situation is and like how much those actually get sold on uh physical copies later i know uh castlevania used to do it i got like season one and season two i think physical uh but never watched season two so <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I would love to sit down and watch this someday. I'll be curious. I don't know if they've said how many hour, episodes it is, but I think it comes out at the end of December. So, uh, the other option is to maybe just pirate it. <laughs> so I did, uh, end up missing the, uh, Kabuki, uh, Final Fantasy 10 Kabuki stage play, uh, stream, unfortunately. So I, I, I just, I had a rough October if I have not mentioned that before, it was not fun. Um, there's a reason why this podcast is now once every two weeks. <laughs> so uh, I am in recovery met mode of that. But yeah, the uh, I ended up missing the uh, Kabuki, Final Fantasy X Kabuki show. So I'm hoping that will be available in some kind of like physical fashion with English subs at some point. Or if somebody uploads it online and I can just go look at it there. But um, ideally, I would like to pick it up. But And Japanese Blu-rays can be really expensive. At least the Buddy Mission Bond ones are pretty pricey. I've not looked into that second Blu-ray again in a long time. I have not been keeping track of it. Wouldn't be surprised if I've missed my window on the first print run for that. Although I will say, uh, when I was at, was it Mandarake is what it's called or something like that? It's like a used anime goods shop in Japan. Um, I, I found the Buddy Mission Bond, uh, drama CD featuring Luke and Aaron for significantly cheaper with all the goodies included. Well, maybe not all the goodies, but the, the goodies that included that mattered, which is the script. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I would, I would love to pick that up at some point. So anyways, let's move on from that. That's not really a news story. I've just started rambling on after Pokemon Concierge. Quester. Do you guys remember Quester? We talked about Quester a few times. Quester, uh, I believe, has been out in English on Steam for a little bit here, and uh, it is finally coming to Switch. This is like a dungeon crawler based off like really old school computers, so it's like one or two colors and stuff like that with very basic sprites. Has a very neat aesthetic though, very like uh, I guess uh, like near future apocalyptic uh, Tokyo kind of look to it maybe. Um, and it's got like a really fun set of characters. I like uh police outfits and stuff. So one of the characters is like a SWAT guy with like a ice pick for a weapon or something like that. It's been a while since I'm like conjuring an image in my head. Um, but there's also like an, a like a schoolgirl looking girl with like an anime sword or anime sword anime schoolgirl with like a sword um, uh, there as well. But anyways, it, it's pretty simple looking overall. And uh, uh, the uh, publisher's been was, was trying to get into English, and I think they finally did. I did not ever fully uh, look on the website, but I believe on Steam it is in English now. But uh, it is coming to Switch now, and uh, it, it got paired with maybe the most appropriate publisher, Kemco. <laughs> So, you know, they're, they're very bare bones RPGs. Uh, I don't want to say that. I have never played a Chemco RPG within the last 10 years, 15 years, however long they've been doing these basically RPG maker games. They could be totally awesome and good. I just have no idea. 
you know, so, but uh, it is, it is very much looks like a game like kind of built or their games very much look like they're built out of like, you know, a, a cookie cutter tool set a lot of the times. And they just kind of like push stuff through quickly. Again, I've not played them. Uh, Metro Quest are a uh, quester now called Metro Quester on, on Steam because Kemco changed the name, it looks like. <laughs> um, uh, it does not have that aesthetic. It has its own unique aesthetic. But, you know, just the, the kind of classic style RPG gameplay, I think, uh, for PC RPG gameplay, I think probably fits their, their image pretty well. So of like just a classic nostalgic kind of RPG in the modern day kind of thing. So looks really cool. And I'm glad they're bringing it over. I'm curious if we'll go anywhere else. But this will probably be the last time we talk about Quester, now known as Metro Quester on the Nintendo Switch. Um, that'll probably be the last time we talk about it. It's coming out December 15th though. So check that out if you want on the switch. I don't think I'll ever play it, unfortunately, but, uh, it looks cool. Hats off to you. The guys, the Japanese developer with like a native American, uh, uh, logo for some reason. So, so, uh, yeah. And the last game we're going to talk about before we talk about Square Enix's, uh, 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 NFT fun time. And then we'll get into Jillian's corner and then Boku no, Natsuyasumi too. Um, the last news story here is not really a news story, just a game I kind of poked my nose into. Fairy Carrots. This is a Steam game. Looks very budget kind of thing. You're a little guy running around uh, these ladies' houses or whatever. And you you might say, hey, this sounds familiar. Didn't you, Ben, like the video game Gun Gun Pixies on the Nintendo Switch? And my answer is yes, I did really like Gun Gun Pixies, although you were alien girls running around, not a dude. In this case, you're a little dude running around, uh, but it is kind of the reverse of Gun Gun Pixies, where in Gun Gun Pixies, you were shooting the giant girls to make them uh, tired and and suggestive tired, <laughs> um, which there's a lot of great things about Gun Gun Pixies, I will say. The, 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 the suggestive... If, if for some reason you're new here, the suggestive part of Gun Gun Pixies, not the, particularly the part of Gun Gun Pixies I like, um, but there is like some really good storytelling there, I think, with uh, specifically uh, family ties and what it means to be adopted and stuff like that. I think that is like a really good story in that, in that uh, regard. Um, but anyways, uh, this game is kind of the reverse where you are just a little buff guy in like a bunny suit. Uh, like it's not even really a bunny suit. It's like a thong that I think goes up over your arms and then he has bunny ears on. I think it's is my memory. I'm not looking at it right now. Um, but you're running around the house and the girl has a gun. <laughs> She's chasing you around. Uh, I don't know the goal and objective of this game, but the fact that it is so like gun gun pixies esque looking, uh, makes me kind of interested. Uh, it comes out in January, so uh, we'll see if it keeps my interest long enough uh, or if I will ever see it again. A lot of time with these news stories and games I look at on these news stories, I never see them again. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but uh, looks cute, looks neat. All right, here we are on a little NFT uh, uh, update. If you are not familiar, we follow the Japanese game industry's uh, adventures into NFTs because despite the West moving on from them, the Japanese industry still seems to care about them quite a bit. And uh, we have talked about various publishers who continue to invest money in that space, including Bandai Namco, Konami, uh, Sega still doing their super game, and they're still insisting it's going to have integration with NFTs and stuff like that, right? It's all there. We have, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, did we talk about um, Coin Musume? Coin Musume got delayed. The, if you don't know, Coin Musume is basically the Sega Gaga of 
NFT crypto games, where it's a game built around the fact that the industry crashed. So um, it's a lot of self-deprecating humor, it seems like, but uh, they, they delayed their game uh, from coming out or whatever. But anyways, Square Enix, if you don't remember, announced a game, I, I believe it's called like Symbiogenesis a while ago. Um, and Symbiogenesis was uh, probably their more serious NFT game. Um, it had a kind of, a, in some ways, like a Square Enix Advanced Wars look to it in terms of just the visual style. Um, like a lot of these NFT games, they did not show any gameplay. And guess what? They still have not shown any gameplay. Um, chances are because there's not much gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, there's a lot of auto idle games in the, in the, like outside of the NFT space as well. So I'm not going to, you know, give them too much trouble for that aspect of it. Right. Um, but anyway, so, uh, they have not shown much more about the game, but they are moving forward on that game. Uh, they announced this game, I think pre market crash. I think this is the first time they're really talking about it again. Uh, and they basically, I think this may have already passed. I don't think anyone here cares about this, so I'm not going to bother to dig up the dates, but, uh, they went ahead and allowed people to go ahead and purchase NFTs. I think it was like $500 per character, basically. Um, and you had to enter a lottery system, I believe, to purchase it. Um, again, I went through this with machine translation, so this is not a direct translation. Um, again, I think the people who listen to this do not really care. So like, I'm, I, if I get some of the details here wrong, I don't think we're, we're in any real trouble here. Uh, but anyways, um, but yeah, there's like a lottery system, but how you get into the lottery system... <laughs> is you're like join their discord server and answer quiz questions and earn points and then once you earn enough points if you're in the top ranking you get the chance to buy nfts which i mean lottery systems aren't anything new in uh what's it called you know uh japan but i am really curious if the demand is there uh for uh <laughs> for uh a lottery system for an nft or whatever but anyways um, so that apparently I believe has happened at this point. So people have either purchased or not. I, uh, have not looked into seeing if, if, if they have extra stuff laying around still or not. Um, kind of the big thing they said was that each NFT character in this game is going to have a story. Um, what exactly that means is a whole other thing. Um, I personally would not have a lot of confidence in the storytelling based around those NFTs, mainly because if you recall, when this game got announced, kind of the big thing that Western outlets kind of held on to when they, they looked at it was the fact that the characters that are NFTs are basically built from a template. This is kind of standard for NFTs where like an image will be built from a template a lot of times, or at least for NFTs in this kind of space. Um, will be built built for a template and they'll just kind of like swap out different parts and components kind of thing. Um, and, and so they basically did that, but they didn't properly fit the hats to the different characters' heads and hairstyles. So their hair would just like stick through hats and stuff like that. Again, there are many video games in the world that has had clipping hair through hats. That is not necessarily a new thing. Um, but you know, it just, it was, I think, especially atrocious looking because it was 2D art rather than 3D character models, where I think 3D character models, there are challenges that come with that, right? And so so that's why you might have a character whose hair would just like clip through their hat a bit occasionally and stuff like that, right? So, um, and, and I think we are kind of beyond that point at this point now uh, as well. But uh, anyways, the whole point I was saying is that they did not seem to put a lot of care into the art assets of each NFT character when they initially showed it at the very least. I don't know if they've changed or improved them since. Um, but I would guess the story would probably not be a huge improvement on that. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I believe Double Jump Tokyo's developing this. I don't know 100% for sure, but off the top of my head, like Double Jump Tokyo is the company that works with like Sega, Konami, 
all these big companies. Um, they seem to be kind of the 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 bridge point between uh, pr- traditional publishers and a and a NFT cryptocurrency style gameplay space, right? And um, they they uh, I forget why I was explaining who who these people are, but I think they're involved in this project. I'm gonna leave it at that. I don't remember anything else. Um, the w- one thing I will say is that I did check in a, a while ago back in on the Million Arthur NFT, which is also a Square Enix project. If you don't know, the big win case uh, Square Enix had for NFTs was for Million Arthur. Million Arthur being a long, old-time mobile game series that developed into a multimedia franchise uh, and then burned out within like five years. Uh, but it had a very successful web comic series that was adapted into a web animated series as well. And this uh, NFT game is based largely around that web series. Um, and and it seems like it has done very well. Um, and when it initially got released, the NFTs for those got released, they, those sold out um, pretty quickly. So um, the Million for NFTs are still number one online as far as I can tell. Um, but you know, obviously what exactly does that mean? Does that mean they're profitable or not is a whole other thing, but, um, it seems like Square Enix, at least within the line marketplace seems to be dominating that space still. Um, but I think given the amount of money Square Enix invested in this space, um, you know, I think they're just basically just sitting there and holding on to their pieces right now. And they want to be there in case the market changes and it probably is, is, is not worth cutting their losses at this point. Um, you know, given the minimal cost it probably is taking right now to build the games that they're building around this right now. So anyways, there's our, our NFT update. Hopefully the last one for a long time. I, I, I mentioned this before, but I'm kind of tired talking about the NFT stuff. There's just like not a lot to say about it. I think part of the problem with it is like, like we're no longer in a period of NFTs being like, like even if you want to give them the most charitable idea of like what an NFT can be and if it has value, right? I, I really sit there and look at it and I really can't see them having any short-term um, benefits. Uh, and and I, I, I think it is a technology that if it can't figure out what it's doing now, it will have to figure out what it's doing later if it ever wants to hope to come back, right? Um, and right now is not now, I feel like, for that. I think they're just kind of kicking around with what they have at the moment, so... So yeah, but you know, all these companies bumped, bumped, uh, dumped a bunch of money into this space, and I think they're just kind of stuck there. And uh, the money they're spending on it now probably is a fraction of the money they spent on it years ago. But you know, they can't get that money back, right? They they've lost that money, and so they just kind of, you know, it makes more sense to just hold on to it for now. I think generally. So, all right, Jillian's corner. Then we'll get into our Boku, Boku segment. Jillian, thank you again, Jillian, for supporting us on Kofi. Jillian asks us a question does somebody else support us i don't remember like if somebody in the last month or so I'll, I'll go and pull this up but while i'm pulling this up jillian has asked us a question if you want to donate on coffee you can also ask me a question about anything you want if you would like i would be happy to answer them um it is zero uh also donated within this last month so again thank you zero for your donation as well jillian for your donation i really appreciate that uh, Jillian asked the question. Um, I almost read something from the NFT segment on accident. <laughs> Do you think solely mobile consoles from Nintendo are over? Um, hmm. Solely mobile consoles. I don't think so. Uh, I feel like it would be really hard to launch a portable on a console. I could see Nintendo's 
not selling a console that is immediately or not selling a portable that's immediately also a console. I could see it being like, hey, if you want to buy the dock separately, here you go. But I think right now the use case of Switch is probably diverse enough that it is probably worth making sure that distinguishing factor is in place there. I'd be curious to see if there are any models that come out that kind of encourage one play over another. Like, you know, kind of the thing with like the OLED right now is that if you want the benefits of the Switch OLED, you really have to be playing it portably. There's not that many benefits if you're playing on a TV you know, for that particular model at the very least, right? Um, at least as far as I'm aware, maybe it has OLED TV support and I don't know, but I believe it is only supported OLED for the, um, um, well, I guess like it's not necessarily that like it needs support for OLED, right? Like OLED just inherently as a technology, I think improves image quality, even if it is the same image. I could be wrong. I don't know anything about TVs. Don't ask me anything about TVs. Um, anyways, but, uh, yeah, I, I could see them doing something like that, but I think in the short term, at the very least, I think we have at least one console cycle again, where, uh, they are doing the both of them. Um, I think game consoles in general really have to start asking questions of like what we're doing here, right? Um, how many people who are interested in the types of games that game consoles are for, how many of them are just going to be willing to go to PC? And then how many people who are not within that audience of who are going to PC will be 100% willing to go play streaming on a TV or something like that, right? I'm, I'm still a big believer that I think streaming tech works. Just a matter of finding the right model for it. Um, in my opinion that like I, and, and this is like based off my opinion of playing PlayStation now back in like 2015, right? Like this is before all the stadia stuff. It just works really well. There are limitations, there are problems, but you know, if people play Ocarina of Time on Nintendo switch with the horrendous delay that that thing had, um, at the time when I played it, when it, when it launched at, with my nephew, my nephew did not care. He was just having a good time playing the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, right? Um, and and so I think to some extent, there are a group of people who do not care about latency and things like that, right? So I, I think you really have to see a shift in like how the market um, would go in order to end up in a situation where Nintendo would probably drop the uh, the console side of things. I think right now consoles have a space, but you know where will they be 10 years from now? Who can say, right? Um, so... If that patent is in anything, the uh, one that has like the detachable screen stuff, um, I don't remember if they mentioned anything about the dock on that. But but if if there if there is a if they are trying to push dual screen gameplay with touch controls, um, if they really feel like they believe that is something worth revisiting and focusing on, maybe in that situation they're like, hey guys, this is portable only please understand. Right. But I, I just don't really see that happening, honestly. And I don't, I don't think there's going to be anything. I, th I think like, if you look at the 3ds, I think a lot of developers at some point stopped caring about those gimmicks, right? They were gimmicks at the start and I love those gimmicks and I love playing games based around those gimmicks. That's not, you know, demonizing those aspects. I love Nintendo gimmicks. I love hardware gimmicks. I love seeing how these games interact with those gimmicks, right? And that's a big part of why I still play DS games and Wii games, because I love finding new games that interact with those control schemes in new and interesting ways, right? Um, but, uh, uh, you know, how much does that matter for the more traditional audience, things like that? That's a whole other thing, right? So... Anyways, thank you again, Jillian, for your donation and support. Thank you again, Zero, for your donation and support. If you want to support me, feel free to go over to Kofi. You can send in a donation. I did also go ahead and post up that old Animal Crossing video that I had uh, wrapped up a handful of months ago. 
um, on the Kofi. Uh, it is not really a, it is a finished video. It was created and ready to publish. Um, but the video says absolutely nothing. And so I ended up never publishing it. Um, but if you do want to see that video, uh, that is over there on the Kofi. It is a solid like 10 minute video, something like that. So if you want to go watch that, um, it's like, it's, it's like halfway between my unscripted stuff and a scripted video. So I think, uh, if you are interested in that presentation at the very least, uh, it will, it will at least be enjoyable in that regard. But if you uh, ask yourself what I was trying to say by the end of that video, I'm going to take a strong guess. You don't really know what I was trying to say because I don't think I, I think I was, uh, trying to push through it too fast and ended up, uh, making something that said nothing. Um, so that's is why cleaning up your script and stuff is very important to make sure you are saying something and not nothing. So anyways, speaking of saying something and not nothing, Boku no Natsu Yasumi too. Like I said before, uh, I think if I'm a big believer, if that, if you are interested in this game and you want to enjoy this game kind of to its fullest, um, you should probably just stop listening to this podcast now and go, go play this game as soon as you can. Right. Um, I just think the, the, the way the game is presented to the player and the, per the type of person who's going to enjoy this, I think will better appreciate it having less knowledge than more going in. That's my personal feelings. So I'm just going to say that up front. And that's a big part of the reason why I really didn't have, like, I feel like I didn't really have a lot to write about or make a video about or anything like that. Right. Was just like I kind of, I kind of feel like in everything I'm doing and writing about here, I'm doing you a disservice and uh, recommending this, like, like talking about this game. And if you're, if you plan to play it, so, so in saying that and not trying to recommend a video game to you, um, I'm gonna talk about my feelings on Boku no Natsu Yasumi too, uh, because I do think it's something I do want to talk about still. Um, I will say I, unlike my other like things where I talk about games, I usually have like a set of notes here. In this case, I have no set of notes because I couldn't really figure out a way to uh, organize any thoughts on this game. It's very weird. Um, so if you don't know, Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2 is a summer vacation game where you're a little kid, you go onto like a little island um, and you are exploring that island with your aunt and stuff. Your, your mom's uh, having a baby and uh, sending you away while she has the baby, basically. So so you end up on this island with your aunt, uncle, and uh, cousins and stuff, and uh, you're just kind of there. You're just there to be there, and uh, it's kind of up to you what you want to do. Um, you can kind of go fish if you want to fish. You want to go you know, pick up some beetles off the ground and make them fight the other kid's beetles. You can do that, right? Um, you can catch bugs, uh, collect bottle caps. There's a lot of silly little things here and there spread throughout the game. Um, but kind of the one truth, depending, no matter how you plan to play the game, is that there is a uh, limited time to each day. You only, you only have so much time in a day. And uh, there is a way that time mechanic works, but I'm not going to talk about that because I think it is a bad thing to talk to the player about most of the time. Um, but yeah, the time element of it is, is something that I think is... Um, something you have to always be cognizant of because you'll you'll find is that as you play this game um you are not going to have a lot of options or you're not going to have you know time to do everything each day you're not going to be able to do the entire island's worth of stuff and um there are things that are time sensitive and things like that so you're going to miss stuff um while that may not seem very important for fighting bugs and stuff like that um what it is pretty important about is interacting with like the different people 
on the island and stuff. So, so you're on the island. You got to talk to all the people there, or you don't got to talk to you. I think you can ignore them all as much as you want. <laughs> but you know, you ideally, when you're walking around, you're curious. You see somebody, you talk to them, and you start learning about their story and stuff like that. And um, if you don't know, the so Boku no Natsumi Two is kind of a part of a series of games by this company called Millennium Kitchen. And uh, I have played Attack of the Friday Monsters. I'm guessing most Americans, if they or English speakers, uh, have played Attack of the Friday Monsters if they have played any of these games, uh, because that's the one in English. Although I think Shin Chan got localized. Yeah, Shin Chan got localized as well. Um, I don't really know much about that Shin Chan release though. But um, but yeah. It, it, so what happens is in these games, or at least in between my experience with Attack of the Friday Monsters and Boku no Natsumi Natsuyasumi Two, is uh, you know, you are a kid going around just walking up to people and you might ask a question and then the adult will kind of talk to you. And I think, I think the intent is that kind of because you're a kid and they realize you, you, you probably aren't going to know what's going on. Uh, they're, they're happy to con- confide in you with their issues or what they're doing and things like that. Right. So there's a lot of reasons why they, uh, they um, will chat to you and uh, you basically get to see um a lot of people just struggle with with fairly normal human things a lot of times. There's actually a, maybe it goes a little out there in a couple cases uh, where I was kind of surprised. Um, there's there's one scenario in particular that just feels like weirdly out of place, but you know, I, I, I it's kind of it's fine. <laughs> it's just kind of surprising by the end of it once you see it all kind of play out. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just kind of go and talk, and, and you kind of just learn about each of these characters and their worries and stuff. And uh, sometimes you'll help them with those problems. Sometimes. There's not really a lot you can do to help them with their problems, right? You know, if you're an old man worrying about being old and dying, um, you know, as a kid, there's not a lot you can do other than just like, you know, comfort and talk, right? Um, and and I think there, that that is something that in that game, you know, it does have that kind of development there. Um, but it is a little different from like Attack of the Friday Monsters and that Attack of the Friday Monsters is a linear game as far as I can tell. And I believe in that game, there's not really a way for you to miss anything because I think the time of day is based off how you actually um, talk to people around town. And it, once you find the next story point, it advances you kind of thing. So that game is written in a way where I feel like every line of dialogue is uh is basically expected to be read by the player, right? So they can tell kind of this 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 story across this one game and and make sure the player understands all of that. In the case of Bokuno Natsumi 2, you may miss chunks of story, right? And um I don't really 100% understand how it works like when you think about it mechanically and like what you miss and where you end up if you talk to them on later days, like are you starting halfway through the story? Are you starting are the, the like uh, is it the cutscenes in a particular order always or can you kind of like skip past certain cutscenes and stuff right like that, right? And um but it just feels like it's written in a much more open-ended way where like they kind of are pretty okay with you just not talking to everyone for every dialogue scene that they need, right? And uh, that you'll still get that character's story even if you don't get all of it, right? They, they seem to write it in a way that is like, you're going to get the gist of this character even if you aren't getting every little story bit from them, right? And I think that is like the big difference between, you know, Boku and like a... Uh, an attack of the Friday monsters kind of thing. Just structurally that, that is what felt very different to me. So, but, uh, yeah. So I think that's like the thing that I thought was most interesting, but that's like in the context of attack of the Friday monsters. Right. And, um, and kind of the problem with me and Boku too. Um, well first, I guess I should say, I, I didn't talk about this earlier. Uh, I did do play testing again, uh, through for Hilltop. So disclosure on that, 
I was involved in the project for the fan translation, but I just, you know, basically played the video game and made sure everything read all right, right? Um, and it was actually a little harder with Boku 2 because the how the dialogue in that game works, you can't really stop and look at text very well. So it, I often have to go back to my recording and look at it to try to see if there was anything wrong, which made it a much longer process. I probably spent much more time actually sitting there playing Boku 2 than I would have uh, not fan tra- not being a part of the fan translation process of that, right? Again, I didn't really do anything beyond just playtest the game, so... Um, but yeah, it is, a it is a little bit of a, a more intense experience because of that. Um, because I was having to like go and like catch as many bugs as possible. Cause I want to see all the bug text and make sure it appears perfectly fine. I want to catch as many fish as possible. I want to do as much text as I can. And like the text that I'm reading on screen, I need to make sure, you know, is, is, is reading properly and stuff like that. Right. So it is a little bit more stressful in that regard. Um, but yeah, but you know, because I know the people involved in the project too, but I mean, I, I guess the thing that's like the weird thing is like, you know, Hilltop does take money through his Patreon. Um, but like, that's not what you get out of it. Like, like you can play the fan translation no matter who you are, right. You can go just go grab it. It's not locked behind a wall. It's more of just like, if you want to know more about the development process, I think is what he kind of locks in the Patreon. So it's like, I don't really know, I guess like it's in some ways he gets money from it, but it's, it's from like a side thing of just like, I'm poking at this video game. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but you know, I think it's worth mentioning just because there is some kind of money involved, but none of it's given to me. So I am not in the, 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 the pocket of Hilltop, I guess. <laughs> Corrupt Hilltop, uh, sending me money to play Boku Tuno. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just want to, you know, clarify that because I have a journalism background and I'm dumb. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, but yeah. And so, you know, me playing this game, it was just kind of like a different experience, uh, I think some other people, but I think it's also a different experience because I played um, Attack of the Friday Monsters already, and the the story I resonate with most out of those games between Boku Two and Attack of the Friday Monsters is the dad in Attack of Friday Monsters, like like his whole thing. I mean, if you don't know, and 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 you can maybe see why this resonates with me. You know, it is basically a story about a dude who gives up, like basically his passion for his family, and then you know as time goes on, he ends up needing to re-embrace that passion to, um, to, uh, help his family, how that plays out in attack of the Friday monsters. I won't get into. Um, but that is his story in my, in my eyes, my interpretation of it. Um, and there are other characters in that game, but they're not nearly as fleshed out as the dad. Um, and that's just like a story that really connected with me. Right. And I feel like in Boku two, each of these characters have those stories and each of those characters are something you can connect with right and for me i definitely connect with those character stories like from a from an enjoyment perspective and looking at them um but but none of them like specifically spoke to me in the way that that story i think um um did in attack of the friday monsters so so in in playing it here it's a little bit more of just like oh yeah it's more of this which again still very good um but i just you know if you listen to this podcast podcast you know how i am we, we talked about Call of Duty earlier. I would love to play every Boku game. I would love to play every Shin-Chan game. I only have so much time in my life, right? And so, like, at some point when I, I feel like I'm, like, often, like, <laughs> like I, I, I don't come away as impressed by things that I've already experienced in a lot of ways, right? And, and it's part of why I think I always push to find new things. So, for, so in finishing Boku 2, I feel like I kind of was just like, okay... <laughs> 
Like, yes, that was a good game. And I think there is a, I can see that experience there for somebody. And I think someone should experience that experience if they are the right type of person, right? Like my other friend, I was showing him Poku 2. And he was like, that looks like a miserable video game. And I'm like, I understand why you think it'd be a miserable video game. (laughs) But it's just the kind of person he is, I think, when it comes to that kind of content, right? Versus, I think, someone else and, 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 you know, the people who, who, who are going to be touched by that game, right? And, and I think Attack of the Friday Monsters was the game that touched me from that. Um, but Boku 2 wasn't the one that touched me in that regard. But I also think Boku 2 is a game that was inherently at a disadvantage simply because I played Attack of the Friday Monsters first. So I kind of knew what I was getting into um, with the big change being kind of the, you know, ability to miss things and how that affects how story points play out and things like that. Right. So anyways, um, so yeah, I I really have a hard time communicating anything about Boku two. Otherwise I feel like, because it is just something I think you just got to kind of, it's less of a video game and it's more of an experience in my opinion. Um, and you know, that's interesting in its own way. It's a great game. I think you should play it. Um, and, uh, uh, but I guess like, it's just, it's just hard to really talk about, like in ways that are interesting as a video game. Like I was going and reading around, reading other people's articles and stuff. And I, and I think like how a lot of times other people integrated those kind of elements into their article is like, we're going to paint a picture of what this video game is to you while we tell you about this video game. Right. And, um, I think that is the best way you can approach reviewing a game like Boku two, right? We're not doing a review of Boku two right now. Um, there's like a lot of little things here and there. I don't really care about getting into, Again, I think this game's an experience, and if you value that type of experience of like, hey, I'm going to go chill summer vacation style on this island for a little bit, um, I think that those things do not matter. Um, but uh, it, the things that are the the hiccups. Um, but it, it is just like something that I think is really hard to talk about as a video game. And uh, for me, myself, you know, I I talk about video games often as video games. Not always. But most of the time, I'm trying to think of too many situations where like I I think Buddy Mission Bond video is like the one I feel like I extrapolated the most out of where I'm just like, I'm going to go deep into these character stories, which not necessarily a part. of. I mean, they're a part of this video game. Don't get me wrong, but they don't relate to how this video game works. Right. I mean, they do. Let's not get into that. I'm, I'm sitting here like sabotaging my own point here. But, you know, it, it is just a little bit harder to talk about than like, here's how the mechanics of this video game work. Here's here's Boku's break meter. <laughs> and, and what? how does the break meter work? And why is the break meter fun and interesting, right? How is Boku's break meter interesting? Um, although I guess with the bug stuff, you might be able to say uh, the bug uh, stuff has a break meter. <laughs> stamina meter is the better. Actually, stamina meter is the way that it would be for that. So, um, But yeah, and so it's like really hard to know how to talk about that. And there's like that one big, long six-hour action button video that I will never watch in my life. Um, I appreciate that it's exposed so many people to the Boku no Natsu Yasumi franchise, right? Um, but the thing I hear from that video is that it is more about the guy who does the video, um, his like childhood experiences. Right. Uh, and I think that is probably the way you talk about this game. Um, if you want to really like resonate with people and and connect with the right people and give them the right idea of what they need to be thinking about going into Boku 2. Again, I say this without having watched that video and never will having watched that video. I just don't have time for a six hour video about that. Um, although I think it's about the whole Boku franchise or maybe specifically the first one actually. Um, but yeah, so it's just one of those things I just really had a hard time finding words for 
And I, I just don't know where I would ever put together like clear and consistent thoughts about it. The one thing I did do, I wrote an article about this briefly, or a draft of an article, I should say, and I don't know if I want to publish it or not. Um, one thing that I heard some people talk about with Boku is that it's like a nostalgic adventure. And I don't know if it's because of how my memory works, but I don't really have nostalgia for that game. And I think to some extent, people will be like, oh, well, yeah, because it's a Japanese fishing town. What were you a kid at a Japanese fishing town, right? But I think what, what, what people mean when they say nostalgia in Boku is that feeling of, you know, going and visiting family for an extended period of time, right? And sometimes without your parents. So you are in this other family just there and you're just kind of there with no obligations, nothing that you're like really need to do. You just got to spend your time. Right. And, um, and so I think there's like some connection and value that people have with that. But like, and I had those moments growing up, but like the way my memory works is that like, I have, it's weirdly enough, kind of similar to Boku's like picture diary actually, where it's like, I have a picture of something that happened or a picture, not even something that happened, but like, Hey, I visited my, my grandparents that one year or something like that. Right. And when I, when I bring up that picture, I see the environment that I was in. Right. I don't see the people there. And with that picture in my head, I get a brief bit of text that says I was visiting my three uncles and they had a cat again, no visible sign of what those things are, what they looked like, where they were positioned. There might be details that say I was up there with my uncles and we all were playing Nintendo 64 together. And that might tell me, you know, what that informs what was happening in that situation, but I don't see it at least without, without making up an image of what that would look like, but I don't see the memory of that. Right. And, um, Boku, has a moment that I feel like feels similar to that. I mean, the picture book thing is one thing, but I think more importantly, there's like this stick that's like out on the dock and you can go look at it. It's more of a, it's a post actually. And it's just like, it's, it, you see it from this like weird angle. It's supposed to be like big and foreboding. And I think the intention of it is not the intention that I appreciate it for. I think the intention is to just show you like, Hey, you're a kid. And when you look up at this post, that is a normal post in normal life. It looks huge because you're a kid, right? Um, but but that feels very similar to how my memory works where like it is just like I have this very specific image of something and I have an association with it. But that is the only thing I remember is this first person view of this particular thing. And in the case of that stick, it's actually a little bit more developed than probably, um, you know, what I would see um, in my head. What I would see in my head would be often very normal. I'm thinking about like, uh, there's like, I was at my grandpa's house in North Carolina and I can like imagine like the carpet, like I was sitting, standing by the bed and there was a crossfire game on the ground and I can see the bed, I can see the carpet and I can see the crossfire machine. Again, nobody else there. I'm not there. Like there's no limbs, no nothing, no feeling. There is just those facts. Right. And, uh, that looking at that stick reminded me of that. Um, and so that like, is this, that was like maybe the one nostalgic thing for me of just saying like, being like, this is kind of, this feels like how my memory works is just seeing this very, very specific thing from a first person view. And that's it. There's nothing else. It's just that stick you're staring at. So anyways, like I said, I didn't really have any goals coming into this with Boku. Um, I don't really know what that was. I don't know if it is anything, but there are my thoughts on Boku too. Um, again, 
I think it's an experience that you should play if it sounds appealing to you. Um, I think the more you treat it like a video game, probably the less interested you'll be. Um, but uh, it did kind of put me in a position where I don't know if I want to play Shin-Chan anymore. Um, I, I feel like I maybe got what I needed out of that that series of games at this point. So Natsuman's a little different because it's open world. But, you know, I think the thing that I feel about that is that, like, I can say open world being like, oh, that's the big difference, right? Where it's like a three behind-the-back 3D view exploring the city and stuff um but the uh the i don't inherently view open world as a positive thing i view it as a trait of video games but i don't view it as a positive trait per se um i probably have more negative associated with it but i don't necessarily immediately think every open world game as a negative it's only when i see elements of open worlds that look disappointing and nothing about natsuman from what i saw which is the latest game from millennium kitchen um looked like it had the negative of an open world game but the fact it's an open world game doesn't really also get me excited either so so yeah but anyways that's gonna be it for this week thanks for coming wonderfulworld.com is the website like i said if you want to see a video that i put together about animal crossing that uh has no real goal or direction uh that is up on the ko-fi page it is free for you to view but if you do want to donate some money i would appreciate that i appreciate you guys who support me um, anytime that happens, it definitely gives me more incentive to like, you know, try to push things forward, uh, and, and make some progress on that stuff. So, but, um, you know, it's slow going still. Um, you know, it is, it is one of those things that like, it is just, in, unless I really commit to something, um, I'm not going to like, you know, fight my way through something in the course of like a weekend. So it's been, you know, baby steps working on that Xenoscript skill, still working on the Final Fantasy 11 video still. Had a lot of ideas that came uh, to me, and I'm a lot of them are going to let them go for now because I just want to make sure that I pace myself on these other things and don't feel the need to rush through them to get them done. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think hopefully next week we'll be back with some Arkwrights Fantasia talk. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that game. It's a really cool game. Um, and we'll check that out. And then otherwise, hopefully no NFT talk next week. <laughs> again, a little tired of talking about NFTs. Uh, maybe we'll talk about Boku no Natsu Yasumi too again. Well, who knows what will happen? Maybe Boku no Natsu Yasumi NFTs. Boku no NFT. That's going to be it. Wonkshowworld.com's website. You guys have a good week. Bye. Two weeks. Bye. Oh, get Thanksgiving as well. Bye.